Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 314 of Linux in the Hampshire. This is the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet, and this is our short topics episode, so we'll be discussing short topics in the amateur radio and open source world, and then we'll combine them together in our Linux in the Hamshack segment, which uh, is going to be kind of short this week, but yeah, sometimes that happens. Sometimes there's just not stuff going on. Everybody's focused on other things because this is December, and it's getting close to Christmas, and that's the only thing people care about. So with that, I guess I'll introduce myself. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. And I guess we'll just go ahead and dive right into our lead topic. And the only reason this is a lead topic is because I put it first. (laughs) There's no uh, particular significance to it, but I figured, you know, what the hell? Here we go. So this is Improved Access to Open Source Intelligence Urged. Congress should require the Director of National Intelligence to make open source intelligence more widely available. The U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission recommended in its latest annual report. Last June, the former opensource.gov web portal was decommissioned. Its contents were transferred to classified or restricted networks that are mostly inaccessible to those outside the intelligence community. Even before the recent decommissioning, most open source intelligence products that were produced by the intelligence community's open source enterprise were denied to researchers, scholars, and other members of the public who are not government employees or contractors. That, too, is a mistake that should be corrected, the commission said. Quote, access to the open source enterprise should also be expanded by making appropriate materials available to U.S. academic and research institutions. Unquote. Government officials say that wider Sharing of open source intelligence is not quite as simple or straightforward as it might seem, even aside from legal issues of copyright that may limit publication of foreign materials. Like other forms of intelligence, open source material is subject to error and can be used for deception. In some cases, it may be highly sensitive, but those are exceptional cases. More typically, open source intelligence products can help to inform and enrich policy research and public discourse. So the commission's recommendation to Congress seems well-founded. I'm not sure who made that editorial comment, but there you go. Uh, This came from the Federation of American Scientists. I just thought it was interesting that they're talking about open sourcing, and I'm I'm not even sure I knew that opensource.gov went away. Did we talk about that? I don't think so. I'll have to take a look at that, though, for maybe next time. Yeah, I don't think so either, but I thought they were government was sort of, you know, fostering a trend towards open source. Apparently... Well, I think they have a separate site for all their code now. That's probably what that is, because um, they still have a bunch of open projects that they store. But I think it's all under a different umbrella now. It's still a gov site, though. Yeah. Well, apparently, a lot of stuff's been been tucked away and hidden from the public eye. I also thought oh, it was kind of interesting. Public. 
<laughs> it was interesting that this was a U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission, so this would be interesting. And there was a lot more to this article that I didn't put in there, and there was a lot of stuff about, like, China getting access to our information. So it might be worth a read if you're into that sort of thing, and if you're into privacy and security and the government and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and if you're not, just ignore it and hope it all goes away. Uh, with that, I guess we'll just dive into amateur radio. I guess that let's see that that was an open source topic, sort of <laughs> a security topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a government topic. It was you know it's an it all about, topic. It's all encompassing. Yeah, it's encompassing, right? It affects government. Everyone. Government has everything to do with whatever we do. <laughs> right, right. Conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy. All right, yes. so let's jump into amateur radio topics and we would be remiss if we had a single episode that didn't mention boy scouts of america so bill take it away well you know if i if i wasn't busy skiing then i was busy putting together this report which is the u.s's uh, jamboree on the air report 2019 i uh, i finally got the final version out <laughs> yesterday and uh compiled it it's on the website it's on the k2vsa website where you can find it download it uh, the overall numbers show uh, so we had uh, 201 stations actually file a report, which is down from last year. We had 266 reports last year, so uh, so we're short about 65 stations worth of uh, reports. Uh, more than that had registered. So uh, unfortunately, they didn't get around to doing the paperwork, or possibly uh, they were canceled and uh, didn't 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 finalize uh, didn't finalize that event, but. Uh, Anyway, our total numbers of scouts showed that they were at 9,106 scouts participated in those 201 stations. And we also had 4,677 visitors uh, that attended those station events as well, uh, bringing us to a total of 13,783. So last year we had 14,708. So about a thousand less participants overall, at least recorded. But with the difference in the two uh, station counts, we actually showed that uh, each individual station had an additional 13 people that weren't there last year. So that's a good sign that uh, the stations that were up and did report had very good attendance. And uh, there's uh, uh, just some uh, uh, other information in there. There's a highlighted station report. Uh, we uh, chose uh, the WN7BSA Catalina Council in Tucson, Arizona report. And uh, it sounded like they had a lot of fun. They kicked off on Saturday. And they, they had uh, two HF stations, uh, three two-meter stations, and one 33-centimeter station. And uh, they said most of their contacts were were, uh, were between 40 meters, uh, the repeaters, and D-Star. So they, apparently they had a lot of, lot of contacts on D-Star, so that was really cool to hear. And I think how much they had, like 140 Cub Scouts at their event and 85 Scouts. And then they had a total crowd, including visitors, of around 300. So a pretty decent-sized event. And they sent in a lot of great photos, which ended up being in the report. Um, what other interesting tidbit was there in here? Uh, well, you'll just have to go and download the report and take a look for yourself. It was kind of set up in a PowerPoint template, so uh, <laughs> sorry for the uh, wide formatting. Um, but uh, anyway, it's there. Check it out. Uh, it's over on the K2BSA site now. And the winner was chosen for the uh, ICOM America Prize. And that went to uh, KA8CDC, uh, Robert Crow, I believe it was. I'm looking for my note. I don't have it here. Uh, he was part of the K2BSA Portable 8 group. So out of the 201 stations, we plugged it all into uh, uh, randompicker.com where we pay for uh, uh, an account. <laughs> and uh, and it picked the winner. So uh, 
congratulations to him and thanks thanks again to icom america for uh for supporting scouting so there you go they support a lot of things they give away a lot of free stuff yep well all in the name of uh you know growing amateur radio (laughs) which is what we all are here to do really (laughs) yep absolutely speaking of icom radios is richard still selling his as far as i know richard has um what is it the 880 800 Uh, let me look up ic 800 something mobile d star rig that he's trying to unload so if somebody needs a mobile d star rig our former host richard is looking to sell his so there you go it's an 800 something anyway id 800 does that sound right something is that that an icon (laughs) hang on on, on. (laughs) um it's the id 800 dual bender d star radio with detachable head not sure what the output wattage is been in a box of stuff for a few years does work like it's supposed to. Last one I could find that sold, sold used for two sixty five, which sucks because I paid eight hundred. Oh jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um if Russ wants it, I know he's a good man and I'll know he'll make me a fair offer for <laughs> well, it. So. I'm not buying any D Star radios, but right. there you go. So I just wanted to mention that in case someone's looking for a D Star rig. So Yeah, there's an older one, you'll have to use a programming cable and stuff like that. But yeah. Sure. Should still work. All that good stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, since you uh, dug up that information for us, you want to tell us about Yoda? Sure. Yeah. This no, is no, 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 no. Let Bill oh, talk about Yoda. No, no, no. That's his thing. No, no Yoda's. No, his thing is Joda. It's this not, is Yoda. No, it, he's he likes kids. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I just have kids. I don't really like. <laughs> <laughs> like I just got rooked in that whole Boy Scout thing, and you know, it's, I'm still there. All right, fine. I'll talk about Yoda. All right, talk about Yoda. All right, Yoda month expanding into the Americas. December is Youth on the Air, otherwise known as Yoda month, when stations operated by young radio. Radio amateurs around the world would get on the air to celebrate youth and amateur radio. Yoda Month began a few years ago in International Amateur Radio Union Region 1, and the concept has now taken root in the Americas as Yoda Month in the Americas. During Yoda Month, radio amateurs aged 25 and younger will be on the air as special event stations during December on various bands and modes. In the U.S., look for K8Y, K80, or K80, excuse me, K8T and K8A. Elsewhere in the Americas, VE7YOTA will be on the air from Canada. XR2YOTA in Chile has been added to the list of youth stations in the Americas for Yoda Month. Young hams in other countries may also join in. Listen for other Yoda Month stations with the Yoda prefixes. For more information... Or excuse me, sorry, suffixes. For more information about Yoda in the Americas, contact Yoda Month in the Americas coordinator Brian Rascal, KG5HBO, or Yoda in the Americas camp director Neil Rapp at WB9VPG. Oh, look, Neil Rapp's getting his name mentioned again. Yeah. <laughs> work young. Yeah, work young amateurs on the air, you will. <laughs> For Yoda. <laughs> and of course that came from the AWRL. Of course. Yes. <laughs> yep. IARU Region 2 is getting Yoda. So there you go. All right. We also have another story. Down East Microwave coming out with new transverter. Rovers in some multi-hop VHF UHF contest stations will be interested in the future Down East Microwave Dem DEM V slash U Xverter. This device covers all five of the amateur bands between 144 megahertz and 1.2 gigahertz. According to the preliminary information from the manufacturer, quote, all frequencies convert to or from 28 megahertz. 
The transmit output level is approximately 1 watt and will exhibit a 2 dB noise figure with greater than 15 dB of gain on all bands. The transverter will also contain an aux RF port that will be configured as an additional 2 meter port for connection to a higher frequency transverter such as our future DEM microconverter, DEM microconverter, containing four additional higher bands of operation, unquote. Uh, and ANS thanks Pete Hines, N6ZE, number six Zulu Echo, the Pacific Northwest VHF Society, and DownEastMicrowave.com for the above information. That came from AMSAT. Yeah, that was in their monthly newsletter, and uh, I was kind of trying to find some story from them, and uh, that was about the only thing that kind of piqued my interest. <laughs> <laughs> A new toy from uh, DownEast Microwave. So, yeah, they've always been known for really, really excellent uh, transverters so and if you're into satellite work that will most likely interest you and since i'm not it doesn't and since bill has no rovers, antennas too. whatsoever you could for rovers you could you could just put in the car <laughs> i don't i don't have i have a two meter i have you know i do my a dual bander in the car i don't you know oh you don't do hf in the car i don't do hf in the car that's right okay not, not yet not yet anyway hf in the car is expensive no not really well you, you technically already have a radio sitting there well, yeah, yes well that's true that but that beast i don't, I don't even know where i put that thing and i have a remote head uh, mount for it too somewhere here <laughs> but, but do you have the cable that connects it i have the cable yes i do uh, i'm surprised but, it's not in the box I, i've normally kept it with it but it's a huge cable it's like 15 foot so it's like yeah 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 anything anywhere <laughs> yeah but i still have to find a place to put it you, you should see where i put the two meter because cause I had to separate the head from the the unit in that as well, but I actually put the I actually put the main unit inside the luggage rack wall. Like I actually <laughs> <laughs> removed the side of the car <laughs> from the inside and put the radio in there. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. So I guess I could do the same thing with the Alinko. Well, let's get you on six meters first. Let's, let's yeah, yeah, yeah. We're working towards that. We're definitely working towards that. If if I ever get my order, <laughs> oh, that's right. You're still waiting for it. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Still waiting for that hamstick dipole plus the tuner. So if I ever get that, then I'll definitely be on six meters. So. <laughs> All right. So uh, I guess you can read the story about uh, Docker then. Yeah, sure. We're oh, and by the way, we're moving to open source now. In case yeah. anyone sort of missed that little non-existent segue <laughs> yeah open source segment here we go docker acquired by mirantis much like its mascot doctor docker was edging toward extinction and this isn't really because of lack of innovation or, or growth docker started getting adopted by a growing number of organizations and shifted its focus toward docker enterprise however there was a new open source community growing around containers and container orchestration enter kubernetes Kubernetes has become the most sought-after container orchestration platform with a rapidly growing and constantly innovating open-source community. Mirantis is a cloud consulting company with OpenStack roots that has recently started dabbling into Kubernetes and provides purely open-source Kubernetes uh, adoption. Mirantis's uh, acquisition of a Docker has given Docker a chance to right some wrongs. Docker's plan to go back to its roots and help developers simplify their workflows puts Docker on a new path with several new possibilities. Mirantis has not just acquired Docker Enterprise. It has found a way to spread its services and business to new customers. With the never-ending popularity of Kubernetes, Mirantis can, can reach even more customers that already trust Docker. Only time will tell how this new collaboration will work out for either enterprise 
but they will need to make it count from here on. And that comes to us from Tech Genix? Tech Genix? Sure, Tech Genix. Sure, why not? That sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a big, uh, a big stink of doctor. Docker. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah, I don't think Docker Enterprise was doing very well health-wise, <laughs> economically. Now, apparently, Docker in general was not doing well uh, financially. In fact, uh, further somewhere else in this article, it says they have never made money. <laughs> so yeah sounds like a startup <laughs> yeah yeah which is interesting for a really popular platform because you know if you talk to anybody especially a devops community member they they know and probably use docker and you know kubernetes is like the overlay for for uh managing docker and everybody uses that but apparently they couldn't figure out how to make it make money so <laughs> Oh, well, well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, you start with an open source product, it, uh, you know, explodes in use and stuff like that. And people sort of make their own tools. And by the time they finally came around to Docker Enterprise, I mean, I think the ship had sort of sailed. A lot of people were doing, you know, various orchestration techniques <laughs> with Docker to spin up their uh, containers. And I mean, there, there's, you know, Docker Compose, Vagrant and, and, you know, Chef and a bunch of other things that were, you know, doing that. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think, uh, they kind of, uh, were a little bit behind the curve in the need for that. And other people kind of did it for them. <laughs> yep. Well, let's see if Morantis can, uh, make Docker into something profitable. Uh, I don't know. They, they didn't, they didn't disclose the, uh, purchase price or anything like that. So well, I'm sure it was cheap. <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah. Pennies on the dollar for their debt. Probably. I imagine so. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, well, you know, hopefully now they'll, they'll be Johnny on the spot on getting these Docker builds up for various, uh, uh, installations. Like I had to wait quite a bit for, uh, uh, the Docker CI build for, uh, Fedora 31 to come out. And I'm sure that was just because of lack of, uh, people working on that specific project. Right. And they did say in this article that they're trying, that Docker, at least as a company is going to start focusing back on, uh, developers and things like that and getting things done without worrying about the financials so that'll be nice yep all right moving on we have linux 5.5 it it only seems like not that long ago that we were on linux 2 (laughs) (laughs) it's Uh, it's growing rapidly yeah so linux 5.5 implements more y2038 fixes oh it seems like we were just talking about y2k too and now we're already talking about y2038 of course, this problem has been known probably just as long, but at least now we have some time to fix it. Um, on January 19th, 2038, the number of seconds for the Unix timestamp can no longer be stored in a signed 32-bit integer. Oh, no, what will we ever do? Y2038, Y2038 fixes have been ongoing for years to mitigate the kernel against the year 2038 problem. With Linux 5.5 comes syscall implementation cleanups and other fixes around the support. Besides that main Y2038 pull request, there have been other Y20, Y2038 fixes to land too, like a fix in the Firewire code, among other trees. So while the kernel is largely in good shape, it will be another issue of ensuring all devices in the wild are running an updated kernel and other updated software components ahead of the deadline. And they were talking about fixing 32-bit operating systems uh, to, you know, deal with this problem if if somebody's running a 32-bit operating system 19 years from now um (laughs) 
I think they got a different problem, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, they're fixing time T in the kernel. And I'm, well, I mean, it's already been fixed. I mean, I'm sure it's a, using a 64-bit signed integer at this point in most places. Uh, this is mostly affects 32-bit kernels. Uh, but there you go. And this came from Pharonix. So there's that. So, so when the next Y2 plus K bug comes out, <laughs> hopefully it'll already be taken care of. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on to our next and last story in the open source world. And I'll let Bill read this uh, gargantuan thing. And oh. it's, it's, <clears throat> it's cute. 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 QT or cute. Cute. <laughs> cute introduces cute marketplace. It's such a cute place to go. Uh, developing embedded systems, to, uh, desktop and mobile applications is a highly fluid process, <clears throat> and the developers and designers leading these projects regularly need to build in additional features and functionality throughout the process. Until today, developers and designers seeking the Qt extensions that deliver these features and functionality had to scour a wide range of sources, which added unnecessary time and labor to their projects. Lazy developers. It's all on Stack Overflow. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, Qt Marketplace provides a centralized repository where developers and designers can find highly useful and innovative extensions for Qt, including plugins for Qt Creator, libraries for, with the new APIs for the Qt framework, and various helper tools. Qt Marketplace also enables partners to upload, promote, and sell their free and commercial extensions uh, across the global Qt ecosystem of more than 1 million developers. The new marketplace also serves as a testbed for new low-priced extensions that are not offered through any other distribution channel. Uh, Qt Marketplace already has a Qt, uh, sorry, Qt extensions <laughs> of uh, some of the key partners like K, KDAB, K, KDAB, uh, Frog Logic, Incredibuild, and Felgo. It will be available for a vast global Qt community to populate from the late November 2019 onwards. Cute Marketplace enables Cute partners to open up a n- new revenue streams and expand their customer base by making their extensions available to everyone. And that came from Business Wire, and you'll also find a link to the Cute Marketplace in the show notes. Yes, there you go. So if you're a Cute developer, uh, I guess you know all developers are cute in their own way, but <laughs> we're talking specifically about the big Q little T developer. Uh, a new place to get your extensions and to sell your extensions if you so choose. And with that, we are down to our Linux in the Hamshack segment. And I'm going to have to do this first one because Bill is definitely going to have to do the next one. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is something we mentioned briefly on the last episode, I believe. Uh, but it is now like an actual fact. The 2.0 version of JSA Call has been released. It's in the wild, and the public can download it. Uh, Author Jordan, KN4CRD, sends a big thanks to all the beta testers who helped him identify and resolve critical issues. He declares 2.0 stable. .0s are never stable. (laughs) And ready for everyone to try. New features include transmission at three speeds, normal, fast, and turbo. And there's actually some specifics about the WPMs associated with those three modes if you want to look for deeper into this. Uh, the multi-decoder can decode all three speeds at once, typing messages while transmitting using the new type-ahead feature. That sounds like it should have been in there from the beginning. Uh, the notification system was revamped so you can select an independent sound card for audio notifications. That's kind of cool. Uh, at APRSIS, 
group call signs for spotting messages to external networks. Uh, <coughs> sure to edit that out. <laughs> Uh, the JSA call API default port has changed to 2242 for better compatibility with other software. Added support for new lines and messages using shift enter while typing. What are you doing? 2.10 was released, what, three seconds ago? 2.01, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. We'll it's, get a, to, it's a little bug fix. As, as usual, never trust a dot o, o release. I just said, dot O's are never stable. So, anyway, you can tell me what the, the dot O one is here in a second. Sure. Um, Added partial uppercase support for Latin one characters and lots of other bug fixes. Apparently not all of them, small feature improvements and more. A link to that, of course, will be in the show notes. So, um, Bill just cut and pasted the dot one, which was fixing an issue with wide graph activating on windows before fully initializing, which when notifications were enabled would hang the wide graph. So apparently you don't want to install 2.0. Of course, you never want to install 2.0. Uh, but 2.01 is now available. Uh, and I'm sure the links didn't change. So no, download link. Still a download, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the list of releases will be in the show notes. Yeah, I noticed uh, the builds are still saying 2.0. The source is at 2.01. So I'm not sure if they just kept the 2.0 build names or well, not. By the we'll time see. you hear this, it'll be 2.04. Yeah, and there will be several other fixes. <laughs> <laughs> so get the latest one, wherever it is. A link to the latest release will actually be in the show notes. So there you go. <laughs> All right. And Bill is going to tell us his uh, experimentation, I think, with uh, Open WebRx on an RPi 4. Yeah, because like uh, I couldn't let episode 314 go by without mentioning at least Pi in some reference. So here it is. <clears throat> I've been messing around today with uh, Open WebRx on the Raspberry Pi 4 with my uh, RTL SDR version three dongle, which supposedly has HF <laughs> supposedly. <laughs> I, I don't recall messing around with it, but uh, I'm going to give it a try anyway. So I went through and, uh, and found the old, uh, the, 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 if you're not familiar with open web RX um, first, if go, if go to SDR.hu and that's all those web SDRs that you can see there are running open web RX. And it sort of came out like originally when the Lime SDR, I guess, became uh, became an item. And this was sort of started with it at the same time. I don't know if it was specifically at the same time, but <laughs> I remember them both coming out very similarly at the same time. But uh, OpenWebRx is a remote spectrum monitoring solution with the following features. It has uh, AM, FM, single sideband, CW, and BPS K31 demodulators. It uses a lightweight DSP library called LibCSDR. Has a waterfall display that can be shifted back in time or viewed in 3D. And uh, if you've ever used the ones on SDR.hu, you know exactly what it looks like. Uh, and this is what you can actually run from home. So I took the uh, the quick start guide and my dongle, which uh, lets you uh, set up your uh, <clears throat> your Raspbian uh, distribution, or if you're running Ubuntu on there, it'll still all should work the same. Uh, you have to install some missing stuff like uh, Build Essential. If you haven't put that on there before, get libffTW3 dev, CMake, and libUSB. Uh, you go ahead and get clone the RTLSDR Git repository, which is nice. So you'll get the latest stuff. You're going to build that and uh, run your LD fig. Uh, then you're going to go ahead and uh, clone the OpenWebRx Git and the CSDR Git, and you're going to build both of those things. Actually, just the CSDR you'll build. The uh, OpenWebRx is actually Python, a Python script. And that, that all you have to do once you're uh, to that point is actually uh, just edit the uh, configuration, which is a pretty simple uh, 
Python file, but you know, you can read it in text. It's just basically setting options and, uh, key value pairs. So you set all that up and then you just, uh, execute openwebrx.py and you, uh, navigate your browser to, uh, localhost, uh, 8073 as the port. And voila, you actually have your dongle is running on the Pi with the web interface. And once you got it all working locally, you can actually, uh, you know, set up your firewall or whatever to uh, pass it through and you can access it from the outside. And you can even uh, register it with SDRHU so you can let other people use your uh, your web SDR. But uh, I've only gotten to the point where I'm connected to it. I got the display running and now I'm playing around with the settings uh, so I can get the HF side of my uh, my dongle working. And some of this documentation is a little bit dated, but uh, it all seems to have worked so far. Uh, I just need to get the, uh, I have to get a special build of the RTLSDR that has, uh, <clears throat> adds the uh, direct sampling mode so it can be uh, switched on when you execute the RTLSDR uh, uh, command uh, via command line. So, uh, yeah, once I get that done, then I'll be able to report back uh, even more. <laughs> whether or not my my uh rtlsdr.com dongle from amazon.com is uh is working like a champ in open webrx or not so uh but yeah it's uh it's kind of fun and it seems to run fine on the the pi no thermal issues or anything else like that while it was uh running and i could see it talking to the uh, rtlsdr and then uh, the ui you can get all the debug information uh directly in the other console window where you executed that uh, open webrx so you get a lot of information um, uh, in the debug, uh, you know, console output. So uh, yeah, give it a try if you haven't uh, messed around with uh, that piece of software. But I know you probably have been to sdr.hu and checked out those uh, those SDRs. Um, think about running it at home. You can plug it into a regular radio. You can plug it into one of the many many SDR dongles. Uh, it supports. Geez, what is a port? <clears throat> supports uh let's see an airspy airspy hf aferdi sdr hp sdr fifi sdr sdr play uh gr osmo fdr i guess that would be the usrp fun cube sdr iqs um you can run an audio card into a receiver as well and a bunch of other uh, a bunch of elad s9c and of course the rtl sdr so uh <clears throat> yeah check that out it's a uh, it's kind of cool. I know we've mentioned it before in the past, but I've actually never taken the time to actually get it running. <laughs> so, so this is the first time I kind of went through the steps and it was super easy. I like literally I just, uh, you know, went through this script here and, uh, cut and pasted it all and it worked straight away. <laughs> I just have to get it configured a little bit right, a little bit better. So it, uh, works for my specific case, but out of the box, it, I was quite impressed with that. Uh, it just basically working right out of the box with the dongle. So. Um, yeah, give that a, give that a look. So how much did your RTL SDR V3 cost you? It was like the $24 one or something like that. There's really cheap. I mean, I just expected it not to even work, you know, <laughs> <laughs> let's see if you do RTL SDR version three and Amazon, uh, 21.95 right now. Oh, very good. And how about you can the, get the whole pack with uh, a really crummy little dipole and stuff like that for 29.95. And that's the one I got. I think you got the dipole and everything. Yep, yeah, that, that one's not in the air either, right? Yeah, well, actually, it is. It's well, it's technically plugged into it. Yeah, it's sitting on the desk. <laughs> it's on a little tiny tripod. Like I said, it wouldn't be that great. Uh, you definitely <laughs> want to plug this into something that's outside. Um, but 
for just testing purposes, it's uh it's good enough. So I'm still working on this uh you know little thirty dollar purchase. So so can you buy a Raspberry Pi four right now? Yeah, I mean I've had mine for a few months. No, I mean can you buy one right now? Oh, does I, I does know. anyone actually have one? You know there yeah. was a problem with these Raspberry Pis. It's always that you know they would say new Raspberry Pi released and then you couldn't buy one for three months because everyone bought them. <laughs> Uh, yeah i know i haven't checked in a while i mean i uh <laughs> i got mine in the desktop kit so i came mine came with the box the power supply the 32 gig card and uh the keyboard and mouse so it was kind of like the whole kit for like 100 bucks so and uh, i got it plugged in with two uh two monitors so it is running dual head uh which is kind of slick and i'm just trying to see who sells it you want the four gig model of course because that's what i have and it's going to the United States. I, I think I got mine from Can, the Canada one, though. Uh, Element 14 or whatever Can it is. Kit. Canada Kit. Can. That, that's where I bought mine from. Okay. And it looks like they're all in stock there. $119 for the what I got, which was the starter kit. Um, you can get the board only for 55 with them. This is the 4-gig board. Um, you can get a basic kit for $69.95 or a 4-gig starter kit for with a 32-gig card for $99.95. So. All right, very good. And Steve in the chat room says he went to Adafruit and they have them in stock there on Black Friday special. Actually, he got it on Friday. So yeah, there you go. So yeah, you might be able to find a a Black Friday or Cyber Monday sale. Yeah, well, uh, you'll better hear jump this on that if probably. you're going to do that. Yeah. So <laughs> all right, so very cool. I hope to uh, get an update on that. I would like to hear more about it. I'd like to set up one of those too, especially with an external antenna. Put that up on uh, SDR.hu. Yeah, fun to play with. It looks like Adafruit's out of the four gig models. So, <laughs> but I was actually going to use my Raspberry Pi three on this particular project. I just I only used my four because it was sitting over there not doing anything anyway. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was yeah. plugged in, right? <laughs> but yeah, I'll probably put put this uh, once I get it kind of tweaked and everything else is I'm, I'm going to put it on the the uh, Raspberry Pi three. Huh. Well, cool. And uh, let us know when you do that so we can all like take over your radio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. Well, with that, we have come down to the end of our topics for tonight's episode. Thank everybody who's uh, been in the chat room. We had Dan KB6NU, Steve K7HVT, and Don KC9ZMY. Um, we always appreciate when people are in here and chatting during the show and giving us information and just kind of enjoying the live broadcast. But before we go, we have to mention all the folks who sponsor us in whatever way they sponsor us and also the folks that follow us over on social media. So Cheryl is here to take us through the social media roundup. All right. For our Patreons, we have Andy Webster, Cubicle Nate, Darren King, David Jakeway, Donald Gover, Douglas Redder, Erno Castales, Herb Garcia, John Spriggs, Peter Caffrey, Paul Griffith, Randolph Smith, Robert Pitts, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Steve Sainer, Stephen Harp, and William William Heckelman. Ah. For subscriptions, we have Randolph Smith, Robert Halliday, James Lewis, Fred Cole, Michael Burdak, Alan Wilson, Ronald Ike, Michael Connolly, Steve Biella, Jim McKenzie, Charlie Brown, Dylan Engel, Johnny Kinsey, Brian Smith, Robert Yerke, Bill Piotr, Darren King, Thor Wiegman, Todd Bowers, Kevin Ivey, John Clark, Bill Collins, Jeff Zimmerman, Tony Coberly, Roger, Roger Piera, or Pereira, whatever. As again, I, I mask her names. Jeffrey Boris, Michael Carey, Steve Hepler, and Michael Jopling. 
On Facebook, Don Cast joined us. On Twitter, we have at the underscore brats underscore UK. At Sharaniasis. Uh, I think that's right. At uh, ON4CDJ. At Porscheman356C. At Bay Mazen. At Hamdeals. And at Oz, Oswaldster. On YouTube, we have KA6GDT. And KingTut963. Our mailing list was KB3FN, and there was no merchandise. And I've noticed that since I've started posting episodes over on the mailing lists, people have been dropping like people have been jumping off the mailing list. (laughs) 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 It's okay. I don't mind. It it hasn't been that many, only four or five, so not a big deal. And I saw that Ted was typing in the discord he didn't actually say anything but i saw he was there so i want to <laughs> oh, make sure is. there we go uh so ted was also listening to wa0 eir and uh, yes it's episode number 314 it's the pie episode that's why bill decided to throw in a story about a pie <laughs> and time t overflows at 314 on 19th of january 2038 how cool is that <laughs> So in, on January 19th, 2038, it'll be pie time to update your time tea. That's <laughs> <laughs> when we run out of epic time. <laughs> All right. So enough puns, enough dad jokes, and enough of episode number 314. We are down to this, the bottom of the show. So we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. We want to thank everybody for joining us in the live show, chatting with us on Discord. You can do the same. The links are posted on Twitter and Facebook every time when we do one of these things. So make sure to join us for the next one. That'll be episode number 315. But in the meantime, we hope you all have a good week, and we'll talk to you all soon. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, N4RD, 73. for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS Live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or handfest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information 
or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.